0: Welcome everyone. You are listening to my podcast A Fistful of Truth and I am your host, Delara Essengel. You can find this podcast on anchor.fm if you're using a web browser or you can also listen to it on Spotify where video versions of some of these broadcasts are available. And you can look forward to uh, Apple Podcasts featuring A Fistful of Truth, as well as other platforms that are ready, readily available on, which are listed on the anchor.fm platform. In the meantime, you can also find me on my blog at delaraesengill.blog. That's delaraessengill.blog. When you visit that site, please be sure to scroll down to the, all the way on the right side. You'll see an entry where you can put your email address and the only thing you'll receive is notifications from the blog when it's posted, unless you choose in preferences not to do so. But the importance of entering your email address is uh, very pertinent because during these times we don't know what's gonna happen. and I am very, very censored. I've been kicked off of every single social media platform and I'm proud of it. So if you want to stay in touch, make sure that you enter your email address. And you can set your preferences as you wish at DilaraEssengill.blog, which features tons of information. Please feel free to share it with others as the way to spread the truth and walk with a fistful of truth is to share it with those that are open to it. In the meantime, I also want to thank everyone who's supporting a fistful of truth. As you all know, by now, I had declared bankruptcy and yesterday, I believe it was yesterday. Let me look on the 18th. I'm sorry. Today is the 20th of January, 2022. My bankruptcy was discharged and I am now officially, officially bankrupt, but officially also somewhat debt-free. I'm still waiting for those student loan announcements to come in from you white hats that are listening out there and my tax break. And we'll talk about all these different things on Monday Matters with uh, Maria Bernardis because there are some different things coming up about the taxes and the uh, student loans and all sorts of other financial changes that are coming up some of them will be started this year. And in fact, they have already been implemented, but they have not been announced yet. So we will be talking about some of those things that are in my personal data bank of knowledge, and I'll be sharing those with you. So please be sure to tune in on Mondays for Monday Matters with me and the lovely, wonderful Maria Bernardis. Uh, and uh, we will be probably doing some video features as well. The video is available. The video feature at the live interview we did last week, please check that out. It's on Maria's channel it's listed on Monday Matters. You can find it there and you can look forward to more in the future. In the meantime, I will also want to continue to um, thank you, everybody who's supporting this podcast. I have 37 supporters. I'm trying to get to a hundred supporters, which is not much. Uh, there is about 46,000 people that are following the blog. I know not everybody reads it every day. It's impossible. I can't read everything every day, but uh, there are There is people coming over from the blog, so if you feel inclined, there's a link in the podcast description that you're listening to here, which provides you with a uh, membership link to a $0.99 cents a month, $5 or $10 bucks a month gets you a membership to become a supporting member to support a Fistful of Truth podcast, and if you don't want to do that, you can either use uh, PayPal, there's a link to that, and as well as Venmo. So thank you to everybody who is continuing to contribute. And I am looking forward to getting to that hundred listener support marker, because if I can continue to support this podcast through listeners only, that means I don't have to deal with advertisers and you don't have to listen to advertising, which, you know, I get it. I owned a marketing company, but it's so much nicer when you can just turn something on, hear the information, do, you know, walk around your house or driving your car listen to this podcast and get the truth and nothing but, Because remember, folks, you heard it here first. A lot of people are taking the information that we put out there, we being me and my guests on a fistful of truth here, and they're regurgitating it, repackaging it. Some people are charging for it. This information is free to you. It's up to you whether you want to donate and support. But either way, I'm never going to stop doing this. I have completely left my life, my job in the matrix. I'm proud of it. There's going to be more people that will join me I'm just always one of the first ones to take that dive off the cliff because that's just the way that God wanted me to live my life and let me witness all of these things uh, that I can bring to you as testimony. Speaking of testimony, today is Thursday and Thursdays, we concluded a series with retired LAPD Sergeant Mike Fanning, which was called LA Non-Confidential seven-part audio series available on Spotify on this podcast. You can search for it just by the name, or you can go to the blog and search for it on the blog at LA non-confidential type in the term. All the articles that correspond will come up. I urge you to do that as Sergeant Fanning provided very uh, pertinent information relevant to the subject material that we discussed over the seven episodes. And it is uh, vital to your understanding of how Marxism, socialism, and now we are at Luciferianism, but it's all related folks. Infiltrated not just our law enforcement uh, divisions in America, but also infiltrated our infrastructure as a society and human race. Now, Sergeant Fanning returns back as Michael Fanning. Tonight, we have a very special episode, the beginning of a new series. So make sure you listen to these in order. Now, this is a brand new series and it's called The Next Revolution Will Not Be Televised. That's right. The Next re- Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And you will be uh, also uh, able to view some of the uh, documents and referred reading materials that Michael Fanning has provided me with on a blog post that I'll be putting up later this evening, be available to you by the latest on the 21st. That corresponds with this episode where uh, Mike begins to tell us his experiences, insights and invaluable, uh, uh, just uh, invaluable insights, really. Um, and uh, first-person uncontrolled narrative of what he has witnessed in his career as a U.S. contractor. And he has spent a uh, significant time in Afghanistan and abroad. So welcome, uh, Michael Fanning. Welcome back, Michael Fanning. And uh, here we go. Mike? Hello! It's here. Oh, great! I've been uh, on this... Hear myself, there was a little bit of an echo before you got on here, but we have been having some connectivity issues over here with the internet today. So, my apologies. I think this is good. If you hear uh silence from me, we should probably check in with each other because I don't want to miss any of the uh the recording. If something happens off, we'll just pick up from where we left off uh, so that the audience knows the uh, protocol for today. So, thank you for coming back. How are you?
1: I'm good. How was uh, your two-week hiatus?
0: Mm-hmm. Mine or yours? I think both of us. Yours,
1: yours. Well, yeah. Well, no, I was. I, mean...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was busy working away, and I've been kept quite busy hmm. by a a bunch of different three-letter agencies. For some reason, they seem to like me a lot.
1: So <laughs> you know, when you're in somebody's we... radar, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, get away from that. Well, takes I think a, I was takes a little bit of effort.
0: <laughs> I've been used to this my whole life, as you know. Yes. So, so we are back uh, for the audience real quick before we embark upon this new uh, segment. We have completed the seven episodes of LA non-confidential with, uh, with Mike Fanning here, Sergeant Mike Fanning, retired LAPD, um, Sergeant Mike Fanning, which we're going to transition out of, but I want the audience to know, joining us for the first time, some people or two uh, please do make sure that there is a linear program called la non-confidential uh, with mike and it's seven episodes long it aired completely in uh, 2021 i believe we concluded it at the end of the year yes. and uh yeah so that's an excellent series a lot of people have been talking about it so telegram group um the links are in this podcast description and all of the episodes, one through seven, of LA Non-Confidential are indeed available, not only on the podcast uh, sites where you can find Fistful of Truth, which is Spotify, Anchor, and the rest. Apple's coming up this week. You can also go to the blog, enter in LA Non-Confidential, or enter in the the last name, Fanning. And you'll see everything that has to do with uh, whatever Mike has been gracefully presenting us with here will come up on the, uh, the blog log as well. So you can just go there and all the links to all the episodes are listed in one of the articles that'll come up. So it just makes it easy for you guys. And thank you, Mike, for letting me um, tell the audience that so we can move on swiftly to the next phase of our programming here.
1: Well, um, I'm glad to uh, be part of that. I don't know how about how swift this old man is going to move at this age, but uh, we're going to make a transition between, um, the, uh, the law enforcement uh, career that I've had. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and then after 9-11, I became a US contractor uh, with five different jobs, uh, the last four of which in particular uh, uh, merged my law enforcement skills and um, understanding of uh, certain concepts and constructs uh, that involved intelligence and how the uh, the governments in the world work and an, under, an underpinning of that, of uh, history, philosophy, economics, religion, and history. Um, but um, before we go forward, uh, the last episode, based on some feedback that I got uh, from uh, participants in Dilara's, uh telegram group uh, where we were talking about the, um, <clears throat> the very difficult and painful experience of um, people who go through being victims of pedophilia um, through their families or um, other people in their lives at various ages <laughs> and, and at ages that defy Ordinary, decent human beings even considering they would never in their lifetime ever probably think of such things as a taking place. But in our lifetime, we've had to come to grips with the fact that there are people who violate the the physical and the sexual, the spiritual and the psychological totality of a human soul in their infancy, Uh in their toddlers, when they are uh, prior to being able to have memory of events taking place when they're under five years old and then older. And that is done by family members, which is called incest or it's done outside a family setting um, in a number of circumstances. Some of it just in the criminal nature of, of predators who are pedophiles uh, and or pederasts. And a pederast is, is, a, is a male who has sodomite relations with a young boy as opposed to a pedophile who is indiscriminate and has illicit sex with uh, children of both genders at various ages. And the occult is involved in this in some areas. But when we were talking about this, we were talking about in the last episode, we were talking about the the pedophile abuse of Catholic priests against altar boys. And um, I I gave a couple of examples of things that I knew from on-duty occurrences where that uh, type of filth crossed my path. But I I realized, though, that there's people Mm -hmm. who have actually been stained. Their soul has been stained by this evil. And... Um, It has soured the person with their ability to ever trust anybody from whatever walk of life where they were violated from. It's a terrible, terrible thing to have to experience. What I um, wanted to attempt to try to say to the, any individual that would ever have had this happen to them is your first and your best recourse is to never blame God for this and to always pray and to offer yourself in prayer begging for the grace to be helped. I'll just let it go at that.
0: Amen. Amen, Mike. <clears throat>
1: Now, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to jump right right into intelligence, and we're going to talk about intelligence um, prior to World War II, what it was like, and what was the public's involvement in it, or not, and what it's been like since World War II. To go back to the beginning of time, when the angels were first created before human humanity was created, all of the angels in total, before the fall, never saw God. They heard and they were aware that they had been created by an almighty and an omnipotent being. And they were given the opportunity, all of them, at one moment, being told that at some point in time, Almighty God was going to manifest the incarnate word into another nature that was going to be created, which was called human nature. Angels, the angelic nature is called preternatural. It is above human nature. It is below the divinity. So when Lucifer and his pals who followed him, when he said, I'm not going to serve a human being who supposedly is part of the Godhead, referring to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. that was the sin of pride. Instantly hell was created and instantly my namesake, St. Michael the Archangel, cast along with the legions of loyal angels to Almighty God, cast all of the um, naysayers, demons down into hell. From that moment on, all of those fallen angels, demons, devils, whatever names we want to apply to them, and their leaders, they were in a situation where they lacked knowledge. And that knowledge begat the need for intelligence based on bad will. And then coming forward into the world where they were allowed to have influence by touching through temptation, the fallen natures of of humanity from the beginning of time until the end of time. And as societies began to develop first from tribalism, the whole entire world was, was first constructed in tribes that were loyal to a leader the elder, whatever their titles were. <clears throat> and their lives were very simple. And this went on for thousands of years. To this very day, there are portions of this world, upwards of 50% of humanity in, the, in, the, in this world in which we live at this moment are still tribally based. And their life and what they value is completely foreign to the developed world. I spent four years in Afghanistan, which is an 8,000 year old, at least an 8,000 year old tribal culture. And there's about eight different tribes there, similar in composition to the other tribes the surrounding Central Asian countries. And their day to day existence, from one day to the next, is undistinguishable from the prior day. Rarely does anything actually ever significantly change. In their lives, in their mindset of what they are as a person, they are from a family that is from a Village that is part of a tribe that is part of this area in the world, and that is, and and everything that they know, and that they believe in, and they will never let go of, mm-hmm. is based on oral tradition that goes back thousands of years. Thousands of years. There was a, a mosque. I, I've. <laughs> I was there for four years, and, I, and I, you know, there's, this, there's um there's Sunni and there's Shia. And one is the predominant, and then the other one is the the hated uh, sect of uh, of Islam. Whichever one is which, the one that's the hated one is the minority uh, uh, believers of Islam, but on a different wavelength, shall we speak? Shall we so to so speak? <clears throat> they have a mosque there. Uh, in Kabul City, that almost every year, in some manner or another, is attacked. And one of the years that I was there, um, we were had. We, matter of fact, we were walking around. A couple of the uh, local man, local national Afghan aviation security managers and myself needed to, to conduct some business for an upgrade of the uh, uh, closed circuit TV system at the uh, Kabul Airport, and. Um, we were walking in the uh, particular district where they sell all those electronics and we happened to walk past this, uh, this mosque and the, uh, the Afghan uh, managers uh, pointed out to me, Mr. Mike, this is the place that got blown up uh, last week. It's, you know, a bunch of people got killed based on the fact that there had been a pissing match going on about five years, 500 years, 500 years, Previous, and it's constantly brought back up and resurfaced, and you see this throughout various other uh, nations and regions in the world. The, the Armenians and the Turks—they go at it every now and then. The Chechens and the Russians—they go at it. It's um, it's all over the world, but the tribal world was in existence. Uh, almost exclusively throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to a, a biblical concept called the fullness of time, which is when Jesus Christ was born in the world. He came at a particular point in time, being God, knowing that humanity on its own kind and its own ambitions and its own strength of its intellect, its capacity, which we talked about before, had gotten to the point intellectually and philosophically about as far as they were going to go. And it was at that point in time where all of the Bible prophecies were fulfilled and our Lord is born and uh, the moral theological concept that is given to this period of time is called the fullness of time. And after that is the New Testament period in history and as societies begin to become more developed and more advanced have more structure and purpose and the, the effects of Christianity begin to replace paganism pagan cultures false religions with Christianity and it's, it's ta- it takes hundreds and the better part of the first thousand years of Christianity for all of that to get established so that tribal mentality becomes a family mentality patterned on the Holy Family of Nazareth, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and based on Christian moral principles, based on the gospel. So what opposes this whole entire thing, this whole entire time, are the demons, the occult, who they manage and control, and then the literal effects of what the occult does into organized society, into governments. So now we're going to to jump forward to the basic constructs of what is intelligence and and where, where is it found and who controls it. Statecraft, which is the nations of the world, consists mainly of governance, politics, military, and intelligence those main structures. And intelligence primarily consists of espionage, which is the use of conditionally trusted agents operating in a clandestine setting. And then the the second category of intelligence is called counterintelligence. So for as long as all of this has been going on, it was always outside the purview, the awareness of the general public up until the middle part of the 20th became the, the middle part of the 20th century. Because statecraft was quite efficient and transcending borders where the public didn't need to know anything. And for those years and centuries and um Uh, periods of history where benevolent leaders and properly duly authorized governments, especially in the Western hemisphere founded upon Christianity were operating, not perfectly, not here to convince anybody of anything that they, they would never accept, but generally speaking, the, the efforts to overthrow good governments were always constantly ongoing, so there was always a need to have intelligence based on clandestine efforts, espionage efforts, to find out what was happening, where it was happening, how it was gonna happen, and so on. The other side does the exact same thing, but from a motivation of bad will to cause chaos and to cause the overthrow of properly constituted societies. Properly constituted societies have properly constituted governments until such time as they are overthrown. And we see things like the Soviet Union and how long it lasted and how much area, land mass in this world, it ate up. We see how the operations of propaganda in our lifetime and why they're there now in our lifetime, apart from why they were probably never there before because civil society was kept out of the loop, partly because the means to communicate propaganda didn't exist. We had not yet developed into... Um, The industrial age, where we're at today, with communications being what they are. And so the spread of information, information technology, changes the way in which statecraft is functioned and bad-willed statecraft is practiced outward against targeted nations. So when we get to the 20th century, we get to the end of World War II. There was a an event in the Crimea, at a at a conference that was set up called Yalta, the Yalta Conference that was attended by Joseph Stalin, um, Winston Churchill, and uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and it was to discuss the impending end of the World War against Hitler and Tojo in, in Japan and what was gonna happen afterwards. And these were notoriously dubbed the side deals made at the Yalta Conference. It specifically dealt with Stalin being able to come in and take as much of Europe as he possibly could and get away with it without going to a hot war which is called the Cold War. It, had, it set up the Iron Curtain. It set up the, um, the Berlin Wall. It divided East and West Germany into two sectors. And the United States government and the British government and the French government knew this beforehand because Stalin came in on the side of the Allies towards the end of the war to defeat and put the final finishing touches on on Hitler. Now there's other other things going on in the world at that time as well. There were the efforts to, um, what are we gonna do with all those wonderful German scientists? Who's gonna get them? Okay. Uh, There was a guy by the name uh, that was run by British uh, secret intelligence by the name of Alger Hiss. And um, he was um, proved useful to the uh, post-war British intelligence efforts for espionage. And we get to this point where Multiple layers of agendas are taking place at the same time. But in order for all of that to be effective, because there was, as as I have already discussed back in the first seven episodes, little by little, we talked about the fact that the, the Masonic governments were eventually going to cooperate directly behind the scenes, but directly behind the scenes through intelligence and espionage efforts to further destabilize the world while appearing to be opposing one another and fighting the good fight to, you know, to defeat the, those evil commie bastards well, The Western nations, they were doing the right thing. Well, materially, they were doing what needed to be done. You would think the appearance of it. Now, remember what I talked about in one of the beginning episodes of, of law enforcement, was not everything is as it appears to be. And we're all stuck in this and we all have to sort our way through it. And those who have more precise and and direct involvement and who have training and and a moral compass uh, throughout this last 150 years or so, have tried to weigh in on this side in Western civilization for all the right reasons. And usually we're betrayed. We'd make a lot of good things, we'd get a lot of good things done. And it's tug of war. It's a battle and a skirmish. Some people, sometimes the other side wins, sometimes the good guys win. It's not pretty, it's ugly. And it's hard to follow. And as a civilian Mm-hmm. It's damn near impossible to follow. Absolutely. I'm going to try and, and what I'm going to try and do here is um, put some some concepts together to get you to see that before World War II ended, the military in most governments ran the intelligence operations in Western civilization. And that the public, for the purposes of this conversation, didn't know what any of those things were that they were doing. But after World War II, what was done at the Yalta Conference was specifically to undo the military's connection to intelligence gathering, which was... um, a sharp stick in the eye of the militaries of all of these various governments and all of these various nations that had for centuries, if not millennia, been charged with the protection of the sovereignties of their nations for the right or for the wrong. And so when all of a sudden politicians take this away from them and put a little check mark over in the column, or a little note in the column as you're you're thinking about hearing these things. The Defense Intelligence Agency, the Office of Naval Intelligence, and whatever the equivalent is for, for Army Intelligence, CID and all that. They're going, what the hell? And that happened in 1945. And it was replaced in the allied nations, including America, with civilian intelligence organizations that were chartered, that replaced whatever it was named previously. The United States military intelligence organization was called the Office of Special Services, the OSS. And at the end of World War II, it was dissolved and people within it were transitioned or not. You don't leave the agency Uh on on your own, but nonetheless people were transitioned and their families and their kinfolk that would generate new uh, agents in the future because it's a family job. Um, they were transitioned into the Central Intelligence Agency as it was chartered and the National Security Agency as it was chartered. The NSA was charged with signal intelligence and the CIA was charged with human intelligence. Now, human intelligence and signal intelligence have, in the in the age of, of increasing technological capabilities for esp- espionage and clandestine warfare, is uh, you know exists for, for both, but especially, but especially, with the Central Intelligence Agency and their equivalents, its equivalents overseas, to the GGSC, to the to the MI6, which is the uh, the Foreign Office, that does outward espionage and counterintelligence against um, um, nations uh, that that threaten the uh, the national security interests of Great Britain. Same concept for every other country, including the United States. Now, there are are organizations in civil society that are not open for public membership, that are run by Masonic lodges. Um, They are people by the elites that come out of the occult that go into these special private organizations, such as the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is in England, and the Tavistock Institute, which spin up all of the agendas that become the British foreign policy in any decade. And the same for the United States and its surrogates directly related to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which are called the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. Those two organizations, and and particularly the Council on Foreign Relations are who staff the National Security Council. The National Security Council was created under the War Powers Act by Harry Truman after World War II concluded. And the Cold War began before the UN before the UN was being set up officially, and while the state of Israel mm-hmm. was creating itself back into Palestine, from which it had been kicked out of yep. at 70 AD, yep. and it reinserted itself after towards the end of the 1800s, Theodore Herzl the founder of Zionism, political Zionism, began to work behind the scenes with the European governments, especially Britain, to craft agreements for things that were yet to take place but that were known to going to be taking place. Specifically in 1948 when the Zionists would take over and create their state of Israel by force. And what pretexted that, that was signed in the early 1900s was a document in England called the Balfour Declaration. Just read it, it's not too terribly long, It's pretty straightforward. And then oddly enough, Mr. Hitler, Adolf, signed an agreement with the Zionists called the Transfer Agreement in 1938, which involved clandestinely allowing the Jewish population in Europe to be transitioned and moved over to the State of Israel yet to be formed. Three or four years after the war, or to be absorbed wherever else they were at. So, i look at my notes here. Make sure I'm staying on. At, at the end, there's going to be some show notes that I'm going to send over to Delara. And on the bottom, uh, there's going to be some books that are mentioned. They're not readily available at um, the public library or B. Dalton or any other public bookstore. Uh, you'll have to search around for them. Places like A Books, Goodread Books. Which are websites that sell used books by decade and by century. Mike, you can, can find these books.
0: Yeah. Uh, would you mind sending me those links to those book sites so audience members like can? To. Okay, great.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that there. They'll be at the bottom of the, of the show notes for today. Okay, great. Thank um, you. So now we've covered this basic, these basic concepts of the public didn't know too much about intelligence prior to the end of world, before the end of World War II. And then since we have been living in a period of time where it seems as though intelligence is a topic that we're supposed to understand because it's always referred to uh, when we have all of these spun up crises and, and, and the various ways in which news is disseminated um, where the government steps in and it has all of its talking heads and its experts from those various departments, you know, we, we come to realize that bad things are being done. And then we're in the age of the internet and the, the internet, which was created by DARPA, uh, which is part of the defense, uh, Department of Defense, creates a, situa- creates a, a structure, a digital structure where the the ability to let people talk about themselves all day long, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the people will lavishly exculpate themselves into letting everybody else know things that no one else should know, good or bad, (laughs) all day long. And this is like, in, instead of going out and sending agents and listening posts and like they used to do, like, like in the '60s when I when I went to school in San Diego, down at you know the, um, Miramar, mm-hmm. used to be surrounded by KGB agents, as well as every other military installation around the country. It was surrounded by military by KGB agents, you know with their little devices, trying to, you know cre- uh, put piece together their analysis of what they were seeing and, and, and put it into an, an intelligence document and send it back to wherever they report off to. And now, we just let the general population just wrap themselves out <laughs> and use them and use them periodically. To spin up events, yep. Without them even so knowing that, they're doing it, yep. yeah, yeah. Now everybody's followed the, the January sixth um, false flag circumstances yep. involving absolutely um, the uh, uh, the FBI
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, probably some military intelligence outfits mm-hmm. that are not really reputable. Just because we talk about military intelligence in the past doesn't mean that military intelligence today is reputable. Correct. None of these people, none of these people are reputable. None of these countries are reputable with what they're doing. But they're going back and forth. What is important for you to try to understand, and I'm going to, as we get into some of the specifics of what I came in contact with after 9-11, was to understand generally what was taking place in more detail than what was being told. I have never worked in an intelligence agency. I've had, I've had secret security clearance, which is not all that high, but it's good enough to get your foot in the door at a U.S. Embassy or at a, a job at an airport or a job at a federal building as a bomb dog handler. But when you talk to people, And depending on your own skill sets and how well you interact with people, gee whiz, you you find things out. And of course, I've had throughout my career, I've had a number of partners and associates, colleagues, whatever you wanna call them, who who themselves were active case agents in various intelligence organizations while at LAPD and after I was um, just a US contractor. When I worked for TSA in 2002 through 2004 at Spokane International Airport in Eastern Washington, it was common knowledge that there was at least three intelligence agencies embedded as uniform screeners and screener supervisors assigned and being paid by TSA working at the Spokane airport and with dual status objectives to do the general job of aviation security, supervision or screening, as well as culling information. And that little dinky airport had a number of things that kicked off that were, shall we say, quite significant. We'll talk about those some other time. So I think we've uh, put enough time into this episode and we will continue uh, next week. All right. Well, thank you.
0: Uh, Thank you, Mike. This is an amazing story unfolding again. And um, thank you to the audience for tuning in. Well, that concludes the first episode of The Next Revolution Will Not Be Televised, featuring uh, Michael Fanning, and I urge you to uh, keep track of this series and tune in every Thursday as already I can tell you cliffhangers are coming and on the way. And again, if you haven't listened to the first series, which is a, a introduction to uh, Sergeant Fanning's police work and his, his uh, time in law enforcement as it began in his career, I urge you to do that and start with episode one and go through one through seven here on A Fistful of Truth. So thank you, Mike. Uh, your time is much appreciated, not just by myself, but also uh, your service is appreciated, sir. And so the audience also chimes in often and uh, many people out there are also grateful for your service as well as the time you're investing in bringing us your 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 truth, your, your stories, and uh, what you have seen in your lifetime. And you're sharing that with us. So thank you again. Uh, in the meantime, Uh, Today, again, is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. Still working out some of the programming here on A Fistful of Truth. But I would like to make an announcement. I keep telling you guys I have special guests coming up. And uh, I do have a very special guest coming up uh, next week sometime. And I'm not sure what day this will air. But at some point in my life, I have a wide variety of experience in uh, different fields of uh, study and uh, business only because I got to uh, work with a bunch of people across industries as an attorney. So from aerospace to the food industry, to supply chains, uh, distribution, logistics in America, and really working with other uh, world governments. I've worked with uh, several different aspects of our industries. One of the things I got to really learn about was health and wellness. And of course, all of us have had a health issue and um, we all have something we deal with. And at some point in my life, I got very ill. And the man who cured me of my illness, and mind you, I was told I had a few weeks to a few months to live. This was back in 2006. And I had basically worked myself almost to death. So, you know, balance is very important. And of course, I had a huge lifestyle change and epiphany, and I had a very close encounter with um, our Lord Jesus Christ, which changed, changed me forever. Amen. And praise, praise God. But in the meantime, I had a very special man named Dr. Masaru Imoto, who not only uh, helped cure me of what I was going through, my ailment, but he also became a very close personal friend. And I, I acted and served as, as a, a personal attorney here in the United States. And um, God rest his soul. I know he is still around because I can feel his energy. But I remember Dr. Emoto would always tell me we are here in Earth School to learn. And truth was one of his most valued virtues. So I'm very proud to announce to you, the audience, that I will be having his son, whom I'm very close with, Hiro Emoto, that I've known for many years. And um, I'm very grateful Uh, to have him here on A Fistful of Truth. Uh, Sometime next week, I will announce the date when the episode will air coming up in the next few days. And you can look forward to hearing from Hiro Emoto. Uh, He will be in Japan when we do this interview. Not sure if it's going to be a video or audio yet. However, I will be announcing that as well. So please do tune in because right now, everything is about... Uh, healing wellness. We're going to be learning about new wellness techniques, and a lot of the doctors I work with, a lot of doctors on a medical regenerative medicine project, um, who are you know struggling at the moment because they have had to leave the matrix like myself. So I understand them, but these guys aren't giving up, and neither am I. And God is behind us, and a lot of them are using Dr. Masaru Emoto's uh, scientific theories and findings and discoveries in their work to heal us. And it's all about raising your vibration, folks, like Maria says. But there is a science to this, and we will be learning more about that coming up when we get to talk to Hero uh, here on A Fistful of Truth. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for more exciting guest announcements, great information, and remember, you heard it here first. God bless you all. Where we go, one... We go off.